0: Good morning, everybody, and a very warm welcome to our service this morning. It's good to see you all. If you're a visitor uh, or you're watching uh, for the first time online, you're especially welcome. It's good to have you with us, and I hope you are blessed by this morning's service. Uh, Later, John, our pastor, will be uh, carrying on our series in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke in the New Testament, so we're looking forward to that. Just uh, a few notices um, just to get them out of the way at the beginning of the the meeting. So tonight we were due to have singing after the evening service, so the evening service was going to be shifted forward to 6, uh, but due to the weather forecast, that's uh, now been delayed until, God willing, the 11th of July. So we're reverting back to 6.30, so if you turn up at 6, well... Maybe you'll have some time to meditate before the service, but you will be early. Um, so it's now at 6.30 tonight. And then next week, it probably won't affect many of you, uh, but the 9.30 service uh, is not on because we've got Rupert Bentley Taylor coming and we didn't think it was fair for him to travel all that distance and then do three services. So there'll be no 9.30 service. It might mean that this service is a little bit uh, busier, so you might want to get here a bit earlier. And then just in terms of uh, YP holiday, uh, so YP holiday is coming up soon, it's the 25th to the 31st of July, so it's just under a month away now, about, what, four weeks. And uh, we're uh, we're pleased with our plans, but as you can imagine, this year more than ever, uh, there's quite a lot of uncertainty, and um, it can be very... Easy for things to happen that you're, you know, you don't plan for. So it'd be quite useful for us to have like an emergency backup team, if that makes sense. So for example, um, if a leader has an issue and they can't drive for the day, we're quite tart in spaces. So having people that are free that would maybe be willing to come down and drive some YPs around, uh, if you can put up with that. Um, So it's the week of the 25th to the 31st of July. It will also be similar for camp. If you are willing to be part of like an emergency backup team that we could maybe contact you during the week and say, we need an extra driver, are you able to help or are you able to do this job for us or something like that. If you're willing to do that, if you could get in touch with me or one of the other leaders on the respective weeks, um, that would be really, really helpful. So thank you. Well, I'm going to read a few verses, part of a Thanksgiving song from 1 Chronicles 16. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And he is to be held in awe above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O clans of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. And I was particularly thinking about this in terms of the fact that we're not really singing at the moment. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We're going to praise God more as we stand and reflect on the words of blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, whatever is going on. So let's stand and reflect. Said, we're carrying on in uh, the book of Luke. So it'll be up on the screen. Or if you've got Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 20. Just a reminder that you can get Bibles from the back now. The tape's been taken off. Uh, just at the end of the service, we ask if you put it on the tables at the back so they can quarantine them. So Luke chapter 20, and we're starting at Verse 26. So we looked at verse 26 last week, so it carries on, gives us a bit of context. And they were not able, in the presence of the people, to catch him, Jesus, in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher... Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second. And the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterwards, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And we look forward to John explaining more about that to us a bit later on. But now the children have a children's talk, so I'm going to move over here and hopefully the camera will catch me up in a few seconds. Now children, where are you? I can see some of you, there you are. Now some of you children, if you were out last Sunday evening, you might recognise the theme if you were listening carefully and if you got a good memory. Okay, and we're going to talk firstly about this or these. Can anyone tell me what these are? And ideas yes not quite close yeah they're, they're very similar Jess moss yeah do you know moss and butterflies are remarkably similar so good guess yeah these are moths so here's a moth and we're going to turn on a light what happens when you turn on a light Jess got a hand up again well done anyone else is that a hand up yeah what happens Oh, not quite, not quite. Good thinking, yeah. Yeah, they fly to the light. That's what they do, so they go a bit crazy around the light. Now, watch this, I hope you're impressed with this, okay, because we're going to see what happens when a moth is watching, okay, so are you ready? It sort of does this. Look at that. It's almost like a video, isn't it? Took me a long time getting that ready. Okay, so moss, they, they go crazy around the light. So what you notice is if you're in, a, if you're in a, a room and it's got a light in it and it's dark outside and the windows are open, you get moss flying in. And I was at someone's house this week and this moss was flying around. It was going around the light and it was going crazy. And he was trying to catch it with a cup to take it outside again. And he couldn't catch it because it was going crazy around this light. But it was so attracted to the light. It couldn't keep away from the light. And in the end we did catch it because it sort of stayed on the light eventually. Yeah, moths absolutely love light. Now, here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that God is light. This comes from the bit I was talking about last Sunday evening. So I know some of you are here, and I saw some of you listening really well, so well done. It says God is light. That means that God is good. It's picture language. He is good. He is like the light. He's wonderful. He's amazing. And we should be like moss. We should be so in awe that we just want to be near him. We just want to look at him. That's what we should be like. God is amazing. Okay, but there's another animal, bit of an insect. It's one of these ones. Does anyone know what this is? Jess has got a half a hand up. Anyone else? Yeah, Nathan. Kind of a beetle. Yeah, do we know what beetle it is? My knowledge isn't the best, by the way. So, yeah, It's a cockroach. Yeah. Now, we're going to do the same thing. Imagine it's a dark room. Okay. We're going to turn the light on. Okay. Are you ready for my animation again? Okay. Watch this. you ready? This is what it does. There you go. And then, it doesn't just run away from the light. It goes into a nice dark place. And do you know, it is actually up there but it's really dark because it likes hiding in the dark. So moss, they love the light. They can't get enough of it. But cockroaches, if you lift up something and there's a cockroach there, it will scuttle into the darkness because it doesn't like the light at all. And this is what the Bible tells us. It says that we're a bit like cockroaches. It says the light has come into the world. It's not talking about the sun. It's talking about Jesus. It says the light has come into the world and what do you think we did? Did we? Did everybody love him? Sadly not. It says, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So God is so good, but do you know what? People ran away from him because they didn't want to be near God. Didn't want to be near God because they'd done wrong things and they want to hide from God. And often we're like cockroaches. It's not a very nice picture language, is it? But, This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. This is why we as Christians love telling you children about Jesus who's the light. Because he gives us eternal life. So, if you think you're one of these people and the Bible says we are, that we often like darkness instead of liking Jesus, then I want you to think about Jesus being the light, and I want you to look to him and say, Jesus, help me to love the light, because that's how we get eternal life, and that is the most amazing thing ever. Lovely. Thank you, children, for listening. I'm going to go back here, and we're going to pray now, and we're going to pray about those things and some other things as well. So let's all pray together. Lord God, I thank you that you are the light, that you are the light of the world. And Lord, I thank you that you are not distant, but you came into this world. Lord, in human form, Lord Jesus, the light of the world came to us so that we could know you. And Lord, I pray that you would make your face shine upon us so that we may know your peace. Lord, many of us know that we've had times in our life, if not most of our lives, where we feel guilty, where we run away from you, Lord. That is how we're born into the world, Lord. We, we hide from you. And Lord, right from the beginning of time where there was Adam and Eve, they sinned and immediately they hide from you. And Lord, so often that is our, our reaction to hide from you because of our sin and our guilt, And we've loved evil rather than good. But Lord, I thank you that the light has come into the world. And that because of Jesus, Lord, you save us into your marvellous light. Lord, I thank you that there are many of us here who have experienced that marvellous light. And I pray that each and every one of us here would do that soon. That we would know the wonder of your salvation Lord, that we would look at you and instead of running away from you or turning our backs on you, Lord, that we would delight in you. Lord, that we would glory in you. Lord, that we would worship you. Lord, that you would be so beautiful to us that we are like moths attracted to you. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us. Lord, change us so that we want it more and more, I pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the anniversary services that we had uh, this last week. Lord, I thank you that John Benton came. Lord, I thank you for him, for his wisdom, for his example. Lord, we thank you for the message he brought. Lord, it reminds us that when we are worshipping like this, it is not merely a a human thing on earth, but we're joining with heaven in in the heavenly places as we worship connecting with Christ, and I thank you for that, and I pray that that would be something that is very special for us. Lord, I I do pray for us as a church. Lord, I pray for us until the next anniversary services. Lord, that you would keep us. Lord, that you would bless us. I thank you that in this church, Lord, there are examples of faith. Lord, those older ones that us younger ones can look up to. Lord, we thank you that there are so many trophies of grace in this church. And I pray that you'd continue to, to keep us, to bless us, that, that the older Christians would continue to grow, but also that they'd be very useful for the younger Christians. And that the younger Christians would seek to grow, that they would talk to the older ones, benefit from those who are older. Lord, we thank you how uh, you give us to each other as a church to support each other, to encourage each other, to grow each other. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would make the most of that. Lord, I pray that we would be a unified church. Lord, things can creep in so easily, things like bitterness or dissent, disagreements. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be humble, that each one of us would regard each other as better than ourselves. Lord, may we be a church that is that is a light to the world because you are amongst us. May they see God in us. Lord, that is what we pray. And Lord, we commit to you uh, the things going on in this church. Lord, we really pray for the summer activities. Things like YPs, things like camp. Uh, there's other activities as well. Things like the Alderbrook work. Um... Lord, I just pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon these things. Lord, we can plan, we can prepare, but, Lord, we are so aware that so much is out of our control. And so, Lord, we pray for your hand upon it. Lord, do guide us. Lord, help us. Lord, I thank you that in the past we've been able to look at uh, times when things haven't gone to plan and yet you've used it for your glory. And so, Lord, we pray that again, Lord, that if things don't go to plan, Lord, use it for your kingdom. Lord, I pray above all, Lord, that you would change people's lives. Lord, that you would empower, come, and that you would change them so that it becomes a part of their testimony. Lord, we thank you that so many have been changed through hearing your word and seeing Christians on things like camp and YP holidays. Lord, do work, I pray, in those things. Lord, I really pray for Gemma and Morgan's wedding this coming Saturday. Lord, I thank you for the blessing that is. And Lord, I thank you that... It's not just them getting married, but they have such a a determination to praise you and to give thanks to you and to glorify you in their marriage. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless them as they prepare this week and that the whole day, Lord, would be God-glorifying, that their marriage would be a wonderful picture of your love for the church. Lord, do bless them in all their preparation. Lord, it must be stressful with everything going on. Do help them. Lord, may it be a special day. And be with John as well as he seeks to have his responsibilities and pastor the church as well. Lord, do help him in all of that. Give him great strength. Give him great strength this morning, I pray, Lord, as he speaks again and as he thinks about this evening as well. Lord, do strengthen him mentally, physically, so that he can preach your word to us. Lord, we bring Margaret Birch before you as well. Lord, we thank you for her. And Lord, we pray that as she heads down to Eastbourne uh, for respite, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would be with her in what must be an unsettling and confusing time. Lord, do very much be with her. We thank you that you have a peace which passes all understanding. Lord, we also pray for those others who are struggling quietly. Maybe we don't know about it, maybe we do. Lord, in a church this size, many people are finding things tough, there are worries, there are concerns, issues. Lord, I pray that we would turn to you in these times. Lord, that you would grant us peace. That you would help us to trust in you. Lord, that we would be delighting in the fact that we are being refined. And Lord, I pray as well for those who are finding things easy. For those for who life is good. Lord, I pray that... They would seek you too in this time, that it would not be a time of losing touch with you. So Lord, in all our different situations and circumstances, I pray that you bless us this morning. Lord, speak to us, I pray. Challenge us and change us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before John comes and speaks to us on that passage in Luke, uh, we're going to sing again. Uh, hail to the Lord's anointed Uh, it's an older hymn with older words um, but it it links in very well with the sermon so uh, try and take in as much as you can as we think about what John's going to say in a bit
1: I'd just like to pass on a message, if I can, about uh, next Saturday. It was like a, a big event for us as a family. And I uh, just want to say that Morgan and Gemma are very grateful for all the interest and support from friends at Forest Fold uh, ahead of uh, next Saturday. Uh, they would have liked to have asked uh, more from Forest Fold to, uh, to the wedding and what follows, but obviously, with uh, many other connections family, and Reading, Guildford, and so forth. There was a limit to who they could invite. Um, because of the restrictions, sadly, next Saturday, um, the, the spaces inside, in here and in the overflow, will have to be limited to those who are invited to the other aspects of the wedding, or helpers uh, at that service and on the day. But um, if anyone's interested and want to see the wedding, there is a, it will be shown on a YouTube link, and uh, that YouTube link is on the, the bulletin that's gone out, so you can connect on that to get us so not so much through the Forest Fold site as on a separate link which is on the bulletin which has gone to everyone. And uh, if any, uh, if some of you want to uh, watch that on your mobile data down here outside, please mobile data, not Wi-Fi, else the whole system will crash if everyone's trying to go into Wi-Fi to watch it. If you want to watch it on mobile data, then you're very welcome to do that and you're welcome to join in to the cake reception afterwards. Well, this morning, this morning we drop into a, the second half of a Q&A session, a question and answer session. And uh, it's question time in the temple. Jesus is dealing with some of the temple authorities and answer answering their questions. We had some of that last week and today we have two questions, two big questions, hence the title. And they touch on two big questions that we may be asking. Anyone starting to think seriously about God, about Christianity, are likely to be thinking about these sorts of questions. Um, They're questions that probably feature on a a sort of introduction to Christianity course or an answer to frequent questions type booklet that might be given out. One is what, what about the afterlife? And one about who really is Jesus? What about the afterlife and who really is Jesus? I wonder if you think about those two questions at all wonder if you've got some some answers for those two questions, the afterlife who is Jesus? It amazes me how uh, content some people are to to not be thinking of questions like that to, to 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 go through life without actually stopping to think about it They're good things to be thinking about uh, life is so so passing it, it's so fragile you have no questions about. What next? What follows it? Jesus is the most influential figure in history. He's a a life changer for many in this room. Have you no thoughts about who he is? Well, we're going to explore the first of those questions more thoroughly. We'll look at what's taught in the passage, spend more time on the first one, Um, In many ways, the second one is the finale, is the climax of what we're looking at, but we will be briefer uh, about the second one. So let's think first about what about the afterlife? What about the afterlife? This is verses 27 to 40, Luke chapter 20, that we had read. Now, I get a a weekly newspaper, I've had it for years, possibly decades, the week, and uh, there's one part which is uh, what the scientists are saying Here's some bad news, I'm afraid, for our earthly existence. Life beyond 150 is impossible. It's a revelation that will disappoint Silicon Valley billionaires set on eternal life. Scientists have determined that human life has an absolute limit of around 150 years. It's a study in the journal Nature Communications that talks about it. I carry on. Using artificial intelligence and statistical modelling, the scientists have extrapolated that even the most previously robust and disease-free individuals would experience a complete loss of resilience between ages of 120 and 150. A study explains why even the most effective prevention and treatment of age-related diseases could only improve the average but not the maximal lifespan. Well, you may not be surprised, but your life on earth is capped. <laughs> even if you have tremendous health, and even if there are great advances in new technology to offset some of the effects of old age, 120 outside 150 is your max. Well, you may be thinking I wasn't expecting to get to half that or something like that. But it does make us realise, forces on us again, your time is limited. Whatever developments. And so the question should come up in our minds well well what next? What what after? Is there anything? The religious heavies. Have posed their questions to Jesus. We had some of that last week. They've been silenced by the wisdom of his answers. And now a different religious group steps forward. That's the Sadducees. And although they're religious, they're skeptical. They don't believe in the supernatural. They're a sort of wealthy, liberal elite. Um, they have their equivalents today, really. When we get religious figures, even so-called Christian figures denying that miracles occurred, denying the virgin birth, denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus, you have really their sort of twenty-first century equivalent of the Sadducees. They're intro- introduced in verse twenty-seven. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. So they denied there was any afterlife or resurrection. Some Sunday schools have put it quite smartly like this. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. When you're dead, you're done for. Nothing after. Jesus addresses that question and that attitude. Maybe you are actually a modern day Sadducee. You've you, you, got no scope to believe in the supernatural. No scope to believe in the afterlife. You're a Sadducee-type person today. What Jesus addresses... Uh, this, and we find in his answer not only an answer for their particular question, which we come to, but details which I think will help us to think about the future and some of its implications for now as well. Now, the Sadducees it's not a genuine inquiry; it's not a really a genuine question. It's a it's a catch you out, show you up sort of question that they're asking for Jesus. And the question follows on from a story. It's rather a a far-fetched story that they pose, a scenario that they pose for Jesus. A man has a wife, they have no children, and he dies. In Old Testament Israel, there was an expectation that a, a brother would then marry the widow to give her security and a family. You can read about it a bit in Deuteronomy 25. There are not lots of examples, but there are one or two similar examples of that in the Old Testament. It doesn't seem to be a New Testament practice. You may or may not be relieved of that. But here in the story, the the brother uh, marries the wife, no children, dies. The second brother marries, no children, dies, and so forth. Until the seventh brother in this scenario dies and then the the wife who's managed to outlive seven husbands dies as well. Not seven brides for seven brothers as the saying goes, seven brothers for one bride, one after another as they die. And then pops the question in verse 33. In the resurrection therefore, whose wife will the woman be? Four seven had her as wife. And you can picture the group of the Sadducees uh, sniggering in the background, smiling together. Well, that, that's got him. Of course, there's no such thing as a resurrection. Wriggle your way out of that one, teacher. Matthew tells us How Jesus starts his answer. I think this is really helpful. Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You are wrong because you know neither, you don't know the scriptures, the Bible, or The power of God. Most of our difficulties and confusions are as a result of those two things. When we go wrong in our thinking, it's usually because either we don't know the Bible, haven't understood the Bible's teaching on it, got the wrong end of the stick, or because we've got no sense of the power of God. I don't know what the current things you're troubled with and thinking over and perplexed by. You may well find that you've gone wrong in one of those two areas. That's why I find that such a helpful verse. You're you're mistaken because you don't know the Bible and because you don't know the power of God. And as Jesus answers the Sadducees, he draws on the Bible to explain. So he gets in line with what God has already said. (coughs) And he shows them that they've got too small a view of God. They've got no conception of God's power and plans and purposes. Their God was too small. Let's read about Jesus' answer. It's in verses 34 to 38. And then we're going to see several things that follow on from this. And Jesus said to them, "'The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage.' and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Let's think through some of that. Think about the implications of Jesus' answer. A number of things that come out of it. This is the first. There is an afterlife. That's clear, isn't it? Jesus is teaching that. Jesus clearly taught there is and after life. The end of our life, dying, is not the end of things. Verse 34, he talks about the resurrection from the dead. Verse 37, that the dead are raised, he says. Death is not the end. And that's not just a, a wishful, uh, consoling thought that we might want to have. It is the clear teaching of Jesus It is proven and underlined by the historic event of the resurrection of Jesus. That we will come to later on in Luke. That's why it's so underlined in the four Gospels. There is an afterlife. Jesus' answer is clear. Secondly, it is for those who are right with God. It is for those who are right with God verse 35 it says but those who are considered worthy those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection of the dead not all will enjoy the resurrection to life some are called here the sons of the resurrection. What a lovely description. They're sons of the resurrection. They're part of, they're, the resurrection belongs to them. That's a wonderful, the sons of the resurrection. But not all are sons of the resurrection. Elsewhere, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, it talks about the resurrection of judgment. It's a very different route for some. So who goes to this, who's raised to, to life, resurrection life? Who are those who are considered worthy? Those considered worthy. Does it mean those who've been religious and upright all of their lives? Is that who it's talking about? Well, the rest of Luke helps us here. We've seen that some of those who are upright and religious were actually self-righteous and self-sufficient and clearly weren't heading for eternal life. And yet we've seen those with such a bad track record like, um, say, Zacchaeus, or we come on to the the thief on the cross, or we think of the the prodigal son in the story whose life had been so bad and who yet are evidently saved and in the kingdom and heading for eternal life. Those considered worthy by God are those who've come to their senses, turned in repentance, trusted in Christ. Those who've repented and believed are those who are considered worthy, accounted worthy by God. So it's good, it's obvious, isn't it? It's good to think, am I in that category? Am I considered worthy by God because I have place my trust alone in Christ and turn to him in repentance are you a a son or daughter let's put it that way, are you a son or daughter of the resurrection is this your future it is for those right with God but um, we can add another implication if you like something else that follows on And that is that the afterlife, the the resurrection to life that we're focusing on is of a different order, if I can put it like that. It's a a different order, it's a different realm. Uh, A lot of our problems is that we tend to just think that it's almost just a a carry-on of this existence with maybe one or two small modifications. But to grasp God and his purposes is to realise it's a very different order of things. It's a very different realm. And not grasping that gives us problems because we just can't take in the logistics and how it will happen. And how can it be that people won't be poorly? I can't get my mind right. How can it be that there won't be any accidents? How how will people not hurt each other? How how will they not trip up? We We don't understand. How come people won't get older what what age will they all be? We have all sorts of questions, and we think, well, what about those who uh, who who deteriorated a lot through illness or or those who've been crushed or, or those who have been cremated? you know how can they be resurrected and and if not, we're not careful, we end up like like the Sadducees, and we're unclear and we're skeptical because we can't work out the details because we, we expect it to be so. Our understanding is a bit confined down to here, but we need to remember the power of God. The Creator, who created this existence, has purposed that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, it is of a different order. It is a recreation, and that same powerful, supreme, almighty, sovereign being will be at work making it different. It is of a different order. Our bodies will be uh, recognisable, we uh, assume. uh, They knew who Moses and Elijah were up the mountain, but we will be different. Jesus' is body was recognisable, had marks in after his resurrection, but it was a glorified body. There was a change. Uh, The Bible tells us in Philippians 3, in this uh, lovely description of a change that will take place. Verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so Jesus comes in verses 35 and 36 and says, But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, more of that in a minute, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. So no births, deaths or marriages in heaven. It's a very different order, isn't it? When there's such features of our existence down here. So it's of a very different order, we need to have our sights raised conscious of God's creative power but then we come on to this slightly different, more specific marriage is for this life marriage is for this life the Sadducees had their view, thinking of marriage now they assumed it would be the same then Hence it fed into their scepticism. Jesus says marriage is for now and not for then. It seems strange to me that we've come to it this week. We've got a, a wedding. We don't have all that many weddings, do we, down here at Forest Fold? We've got one on Saturday, obviously a big event for us as a family, and here we are thinking of this passage about marriage. That marriage is a wonderful human gift. It is right to be celebrated, celebrated well. Jesus went to a wedding. It can be and should be the most wonderful of all human relationships. It's, it's lifted high in the Bible. It points to something very special about Christ and the church, and we'll hear a bit more about that on Thursday at the Communion, hopefully looking at Ephesians 5, and uh, those tuning in or here on Saturday morning will see something as well of what it points to. But uh, a hypothetical bride in the Sadducees' uh, story won't be married to any of the seven, in the resurrection the person who's become a widow and remarried won't have to choose in the resurrection which wife to have, which husband to have won't have to roll the dice and pull lots to see which one they end up with in the, the resurrection experience the Sadducees don't need to worry that's not how it works in the new creation the, the the new order will be above that. Marriage will have served its purpose and be fulfilled. Let's just think about this a little bit more because it, it probably poses us some questions. Um well, what does this say for those who aren't married? For those who aren't married? Well, I'd say it's very encouraging. I'd say it's very encouraging. Uh, Some are are very content with the situation of not being married. They feel it's um, God's calling on them and they uh, uh, contentedly serve in that situation. Um, There are others who, who would love to be married but it's not their current situation. There are people for whom weddings as well as happy days can sometimes feel painful days. Some perhaps who feel that they're they're missing out, maybe they've got second best in life and this passage teaches that in the whole scheme of things marriage is not the biggest thing that marriage does not make you complete, that in fact final perfection does not include marriage you've not missed out on the best thing It's a a great part, one of the best of blessings here, but it's not part of perfection. Now, none of us will be married in heaven. And Maybe it's a help to you if if that's, uh, that's an area that you often think through or feel deeply about. Maybe it's a help for those whose marriage has not been happy or whose marriage has sadly ended through uh, difficult circumstances, maybe it's a relief to, to get a hold of this teaching of Jesus. There, there's better ahead. It, it won't mar glory. The difficulties down here. It is a different order up there. There won't be marriage and giving in marriage. So perhaps that... Uh, uh, something there which I hope helps and encourages those who, who aren't married or whose marriage has been difficult. What does it say for those who are happily married? Because you can say, well, this is all a bit sad, isn't it, really? Um, you know, I love my wife or my husband, and you know, I just can't think of what it, it would be like not to be married to them or those soon to be married. In the next week or so, or in the coming uh, months, your plans are, and you're so pleased you're looking forward, and this is almost feels a bit of a dampener and a downer on what you're thinking about. Do you, th- do you think that the future life is going to have any less quality than now? Do you think your experience is going to in any way nosedive in glory? If marriage is so good now, how good must the future be? Marriage ultimately points to the love of Jesus for his people. All our needs will be fulfilled in him. The Bible talks of the marriage supper of the Lamb. So all, all, if you think of of maybe your wedding day, a happy day here below, maybe you think of many blessed years of happy marriage, I I hope so, but that's just a, a shadow of the bliss of what heaven will be like. There is better in store One writer says, the joys of heaven will be far more satisfying than even the best marriage relationship. So this really does lift our sights, doesn't it? It gives us the bigger picture. I think that helps us. Marriage is for this life. But there's an extra thing I want to bring out of this first one, which I I think is encouraging as well. Relationships with God are eternal. Relationships with God are eternal. So Jesus backs up what he's saying from the Old Testament. Um, It seems as though the Sadducees particularly um, looked to the first five books of the Bible. There's a bit of debate about that, but it seems as though they looked to the first five books of the Bible. So you may not, in quoting from the Old Testament, have gone to where Jesus goes, perhaps you would have gone to Daniel 12, perhaps would you, or you might have said, well let's go to Psalm 16 or 17, part of Isaiah to prove the afterlife from the Old Testament. Jesus goes into the early books of the Bible, that's what the Sadducees seem to respect. He counters their quote of Moses with uh, an encounter with Moses. But it also does this. It reflects a great truth. Let me quote from where Jesus quotes from, is Exodus 3 verse 6. He said to Moses when he reveals his character at the burning bush, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Not I was. Abraham had long died, Isaac had long died, Jacob had long died, He didn't say, I was the God of, I am the God of. I am still in relationship with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They are still alive and kicking spiritually. I am still in relationship with them. You know, when God forms a relationship with a person as he does, when he saves them, that is an eternal relationship and that will never be extinguished. As you say, I am the, or God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, in a way you could insert in there the name of a a believer who has passed away, who you loved. You can insert that, I am the God of. God is still in relationship with them. They are spiritually alive and in communion with God. And when it comes to your name being in the courier or on the funeral sheet, if you are a believer, it will still be true that God says of you, I am the God of. Still in relationship with. Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Relationship with God is eternal. Eternal. So, there's a. Uh, what about the afterlife? Well, there's a, a few things there, isn't there, which Jesus uh, unpacks for us. Well, the, the Pharisees have tried and they pose their questions. The Sadducees have tried and pose their questions. Is anyone else going to step forward with a question? Verse 40. We read, they no longer dare to ask him. Any question. But the questions aren't done. Jesus himself poses a question. As one person put it, after a day of questions comes the question of the day. And it will help us as we briefly finish with this second question. Who is Jesus? They accepted that the Messiah would be a son of David, a descendant of David. David was a key king in the Old Testament of the people of God. They knew that the Messiah, the leader coming, would be a son of David. Jesus had been acknowledged as the son of David already a couple of times in this Gospel. Should get them thinking. And Jesus gets them thinking about this a little bit more. And in doing so, he gets us to think about it a little bit more. He does it by using one of the Old Testament songs, the Psalms. Psalm 110. He quotes the first verse, actually the verse from the Old Testament most quoted in the New Testament. It seems a small question in some ways, but it's got big implications. It comes up in verses 42-42. To 43, for David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Here's the question. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? It's a conundrum. It's a, it's a teaser. It's a, a getting you thinking. It's a start to think about the identity of the son of David. It is start to think about the identity of me. It may take you a while to get your mind through it. Get round it. Now let's think about what's happening here. So David is speaking. It's his song. Psalm of David, it says at the start. Psalm 110. And he talks of, of God. Remember he say, God the Father, the Lord. It starts the Lord. And then he goes on to talk of the future Messiah. It was seen as a messianic psalm, the future leader. And notice what he calls him. The Lord said to my Lord. Hang on a minute. So the other person is also Lord. Points to God the Father and God the Son. This is sort to of tread on the air of the Trinity here. But not only that, notice how David relates to him. It doesn't just say the Lord says to the Lord, it says the Lord says to my Lord, my Lord. That's an unusual way to talk about son. You Do call, you call your son Lord? Even more unusual in that sort of hierarchical culture that descendants should be termed in this way. My Lord? The Messiah would be more important than David. What are you even thinking, David? The Messiah would be Lord. David feels a sense of inferiority and allegiance to the Messiah. And the penny should start to drop. You are the Messiah. You are the Lord. You are greater than David. David saw you as Lord. And as you think about this verse and what's drawn from it and what Jesus gets you thinking about, maybe the penny starts to drop with you and you realise that Jesus is the Messiah. And you realise that Jesus was better than the best of Old Testament kings. And you realise that Jesus is Lord. And maybe you get to the point where you can say, Jesus is my Lord, like David says. See, Jesus' question forces us to think about who he is and gives a very, very high answer. Saviour, Lord, my Lord. Uh, There's a song that's been sung in the Sunday School. um, He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every tongue confess, every knee shall bow to Jesus Christ as Lord. We used to sing that at a uh, Christian union and the leaders who uh, took us through it, the worship leaders or whoever, um, they sang it three times. The first time we sang it normal, he is Lord. The second time we sang it normal, he is Lord. And then the way they did it, the third time they changed it to people singing, he's my Lord, he's my Lord. He is risen from the dead and he's my Lord. Well, I think David could have sung that final question I want to leave with you is, can you say like that third verse that third way can you speak like David, can you say of Jesus as you're grasping who he is, we've read about him in Luke he is my Lord let's pray Oh Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege in the way we do things here to stop and to think through what Jesus taught and its implications. We thank you for what we've learnt about the afterlife and the way that's lifted our sights. Lord, we hope that's been a help, an encouragement to us in whatever our circumstance and situation and maybe for some has been a challenge as to whether they have repented and believed and are accounted worthy. You do get us thinking along those lines we pray. We thank you as well that through this conundrum we start to see again the highness of Jesus the Lord and we pray that we might be able to Own those words from our hearts and say that he is my Lord. We ask this in his name. Amen.